Discover the tips and strategies that will help you achieve your retirement goals. I'm your host, James Canole, and this is the podcast dedicated to helping you retire well. It all starts right here on Ready for Retirement. Welcome back to another episode of Ready for Retirement. I'm your host, James Canole. And this is the last episode of 2021, which is kind of hard to believe. So that has no relevance at all to today's episode, but just a thought as I'm recording this and hard to believe that. So anyways, today's episode is really all about how do you plan for income in retirement when you have different income sources come in at different times. So maybe staggered income sources how do you treat your portfolio when it's not just one consistent withdrawal rate that you're pulling money from? So that is what we'll be discussing today. If you've not already done so already, make sure to check us out on YouTube. Under YouTube, the channel name is Root Financial Partners, where you can find this episode and a whole lot more. And if you've not already done so, would really appreciate it if you leave a nice five-star review for this podcast, if of course you are enjoying it. So that being said, let's jump into the question for today. This question comes from Annette, and Annette says, Hi, James. I love your podcast, and Field is one of the best podcasts for individuals near retirement. So glad I found it. Thank you, Annette. I am glad you found it as well. I'm glad that you've been tuning in. She goes on to say, I have listened to many of your podcasts, but I don't recall if this question has already been addressed. The question is, how do you analyze your retirement portfolio when you require varying withdrawal amounts from your portfolio in the early years of retirement versus the later years? For example... Say a couple retires at age 62 and needs to pull 60000 per year from their portfolio from ages 62 all the way through to 70, but then once they reach age 70, the couple only needs 20000 from their portfolio. These examples are after pension, social security, etc. In this scenario, how do you determine what your overall portfolio size should be at retirement age? Thanks for any insight, Annette. Well, Annette, thank you for this question, because very often when people talk about retirement, They talk about what percent can you take out of your portfolio, what amount will you receive from Social Security, what amount, if any, will you receive from things like pensions or rental income or any other income sources, but very rarely do those things start all at once. For most people, it's not as if they retire and then Social Security and withdrawals and pensions and all that stuff starts day one. The reality is for most people, this is staggered. And so given that fact that this is staggered and you may have varying needs from your portfolio, How does that inform how much you should have in your portfolio balance to make that decision of, okay, are we in a position where we can go ahead and do this knowing that we have enough in our portfolio, both in years where we might need more from our portfolio and in years where we might need less from our portfolio. So there's a few different ways that you can approach this. The first way, which is probably the most detailed way and will give you the most precise answer is really using software. Now there's some software that's going to incorporate different income flows and cash flows and not just the amounts of those inflows the tax treatment, whether that's from a pension or social security or an IRA or a Roth IRA or cash or what have you. But of course, we're not going to be talking about that too much on the podcast today. We're going to be walking through other methods. So software is probably the most detailed. The next way that I might look at this, just a very simple answer would be to break down retirement into different buckets. So in this case, you would have two buckets. So bucket one is retirement until age 70. So 62 years old in this example until age 70. And bucket two is from age 70 and beyond. Now, why am I using those two separate time frames as different buckets? It has nothing to do with the age. It has everything to do with when will income needs change from the portfolio. 
So in this example, from age 62 to age 70, there's one income need. And in Annette's example, it's $60,000 per year. But then starting at age 70 and beyond, that amount drops down to $20,000 per year. So I'm assuming that that's because their Social Security is starting at that age. So let's break this down. Really, the total amount, Annette, that you would need to have in your portfolio as a whole is just going to be a simple math problem of how much do you need in bucket one to meet living expenses from age 62 to age 70, plus how much do you need in bucket two, which is how much do you need in your second bucket to meet living expense needs from age 70 for the rest of your life. Well, let's start with bucket number one. We know that in this example, you wanna have $60,000 per year coming from your portfolio. Well, if we just do some simple math to start, 60,000 is how much you need from your portfolio, but you need that for eight years. So 60,000 times eight is $480,000. So right off the bat, and and this is overly simplistic, we're gonna dive deeper into this, but right off the bat, if you had $480,000 in your portfolio or bucket one of your portfolio, that would give you $60,000 per year for age 62, 63, 64, all the way until the beginning of age 70, at which point that bucket would be fully diminished. So if we start with that, 480,000, the first thing that I wanna know as we get more detailed is does that 60,000 include taxes or not? If 60,000 is how much you need from your portfolio because you've already run the numbers and of that amount you could pay your taxes, and still be left with the same or with the remaining amount needed to do everything else you want to do, well, then great. Then that number is still going to be the same. But if 60,000 a net is how much you want to be able to live on, to pay your bills, to take your trips, to do the things that you want to do, but not necessarily pay taxes, well, we need to increase that number because I guess I should say, depending on where this money is coming from, I'm making the assumption it's coming from a traditional IRA or some pre-tax account. If it's coming from a Roth IRA or cash or brokerage account, 60,000, maybe 60,000, because you may be able to get away with not paying anything in taxes because those are all after-tax accounts. But if this is a pre-tax account, you would need to bump up that amount if taxes haven't already been factored in. So just for some simple math here, what if you need to pay an additional $10,000 in taxes after you rerun these numbers? Well, now 60,000 really turns into 70,000 that you need each year from your portfolio for eight years meaning instead of having $480,000 in bucket one, you need to have $560,000 in bucket one to pay $70,000 per year. So that after $10,000 in taxes, you're left over with $60,000 to spend on yourself. So that's an example of how I would factor taxes into the equation. Now, the next part of the equation is you're probably thinking, okay, James, what if $60,000 per year might be great when I'm 62, but what about by 65 or 66 or 68 or even 70, inflation is going to increase. So I can't just have the same exact dollar amount each year and expect to be able to maintain my purchasing power. And that's exactly right. And that's the next step is let's now factor in inflation. Well, a very, very simple way of looking at this is let's start by assuming an inflation rate of 3% per year from ages 62 all the way to the beginning of age 70. Well, if inflation is 3%, And if you could get 3% return on your investments, that's kind of come out in a wash, meaning there's no real return on your investments. So another way of saying that is if you could get 3% per year on that bucket of investments, say that $480,000 that you need to give you $60,000 per year, and if inflation is also 3%, well, then you don't really have to factor in inflation a whole lot because whatever inflation is increasing by, it's being offset by the growth on your investments. 
So if inflation and the growth rate are awash, well, then you're already there. You don't really need to make many adjustments for inflation. If you think that you're going to grow by more than 3%, then there's actually less than that amount that you'd have to put in, meaning you wouldn't need the full 480000 to generate 60000 per year. And just to illustrate that, what if instead of getting 3% per year, your account was growing at 10% per year, and you knew it was going to grow at 10% per year? Well, you would only need $320,000 in your portfolio because now you're getting the combined impact of the growth on that 320000 plus the withdrawals that you're making, and 320000 would last you eight years, generating $60,000 per year before running out of money, versus the portfolio of 480000 per year. If you're just getting the same rate of inflation and growth on your investments, then that's the amount that you need over that time frame. Now, I think 10% per year is far too high of a growth rate to project over an eight-year time period. What this comes down to is the longer your time horizon, the more growth you can project because you have more time for investments to ride some of the ups and downs of the market and do what they need to do. So I'm using that purely, for example. I would not recommend using that number because I think that's not something that's sustainable. But I did want to illustrate that the higher the rate of return on those investments, the less of a starting value you need day one to be able to create that income you want to fill up bucket one. If you get a lower rate of return than inflation, so let's assume, for example, again, inflation is 3%, but you say, you know what, I want to keep this money in cash. I just don't want to deal with any market fluctuations over any of this time. So I'm going to return 0% on my investment. How much would I need to fill or to create $60,000 per year and maintain my purchasing power? Well, in that example, you would need closer to about $550,000, knowing that that's actually more then every single cumulative year of $60,000 added on top of each other. But if we're not just assuming $60,000 per year, but $60,000 that first year, and then what would that be? $61,800 the second year, and then an increasing amount, and an increasing amount year after year after year, you would need $550,000 if that money was just in cash, earning 0% interest to fill up bucket number one. So not saying that you should get zero, not saying that you should plan on getting 10%. But what you can see is the higher the rate of return, the lesser the amount you'll receive to fill up that bucket. The lower the rate of return, the more you will need as a starting point to fill up that bucket. But to start with, let's keep this super simple for the sake of this projection and say, what if whatever inflation is, you get the same rate of return on your investments? So if inflation is three, you return three on your investments. If inflation is four, you return 4% on your investments. If that was the case, then by putting $480,000 in bucket one, you would get $60,000 per year that you could take out of that. So that's the first bucket. The second bucket, we're going to treat a little bit differently because with bucket number one, we were looking at a finite time horizon, eight years. And we knew that you needed to spend down or, or what was the amount that you could spend down over that first eight years and then essentially be out of money because then you would turn to bucket number two as we're approaching this. Well, with bucket number two, you're looking at a much longer time horizon. So now as we're looking at how much do you need in bucket number two to generate income from 70 beyond, we're going to look more at those traditional withdrawal rates. So whether it's the rule of 4% or, or a 5% withdrawal rate, somewhere in there is going to be a lot more realistic to look at because we're not drawing money for a finite time horizon. Well, I guess it is finite, but we're not looking at just a five-year, 10-year time horizon. We're looking potentially for the rest of your life, and we want to plan for that at least being 20, 30 plus years. So in this example, if we say, let's go back to more of a traditional withdrawal rate, let's assume a withdrawal rate of 5% to start here. 
Well, we know that from age 70 and beyond, Annette no longer needs 60,000 from her portfolio. She only needs 20,000 from her portfolio. So social security is kicked in, covering more of her needs, which means there's less pressure on the portfolio. So now we need to see how do we generate $20,000 per year? Well, using a traditional withdrawal rate, what we do is let's divide that 20,000 per year by say 5%, assuming we're going to put a portfolio in place or you have a portfolio in place that can generate 5% per year and do so sustainably. Well, if we do that, $20,000 divided by 5%, that gives you a portfolio value needed of $400,000. Meaning if you have $400,000, you could take 5% of that per year, assuming it's invested correctly, and that would generate $20,000 per year for you, which is exactly the amount that we're looking at here in Annette's example. I will say again, in the same way that we asked the question of, is this including taxes or not including taxes, just like for bucket one? Well, same thing here. If that 20,000 is not including taxes, do we need to bump that up to 25,000 or 30,000 or whatever it is, and then divide that number by 5%. But for the time being, I'm going to assume that number does cover taxes, divide it by 5%. And now what we get is $400,000. So before looking at a couple other considerations, what we can see here is for bucket two, you need $400,000. For bucket one, you need $480,000. If we combine those two, what we can see is that you need about $880,000 to make this work. Is this overly simplistic? Are there some other details that we want to factor in? 100% there absolutely are. But as a starting point, this is going to give you some rough idea of how much you might need to make this happen. So here are some of those other considerations though that I would consider. One is life expectancy and family history. If you get to 70 and your parents have lived to 100 and your health is very good and, and just genetics are good and family life expectancy is good, well, then using traditional withdrawal rates at that age, starting at 70, is probably a good place to start. And I say that because the rule of 4%, the research done on that, it was using a time horizon of 30 years of how much can you withdraw from your portfolio regardless of when you're retiring and be pretty well assured that your portfolio has a great chance of lasting at least 30 years or more. Guyton's guardrails. So another approach I'll talk about a lot on here that looked at a time horizon of 40 years. So if you have a 30 to 40 year time horizon, then somewhere maybe between that 4% to 5.5% range, depending on how you're invested, that's maybe a good place to start to understand what size of a portfolio do I need to have to generate some given level of income that I want to be able to take out from my portfolio. Now, the alternative is, what if you get to 70 and there is not longevity in your family and you're not in great health and maybe you've had some serious health complications and you say, look, there's, there's just no way I'm going to live 30 plus more years. Well, what that means is you could just withdraw the 4 to 5% per year, but if life expectancy is only, say, 10 years, and granted, at the end of the day, none of us have any idea, but say it's 10 years, you're not, you're going to be forcing yourself to have a larger portfolio balance to generate that 20000 per year that's needed at that point. But keep in mind, those withdrawal rates are designed to last for 30 plus years. If you don't need your money for 30 plus years, or if you only have, say, a 10-year time horizon or a 15-year time horizon, well, you should spend more. You should take more out of your portfolio because you don't necessarily need to worry about, is my money still going to be there in 30 years if you don't think you're necessarily going to need the money to last for that long? So if you only need, say, 10 years of living expenses out of this portfolio. Well, let's go back to that first example where now we're looking at a more finite time horizon like we were with bucket one. Could you take out 10% per year? So simply keep your portfolio in something that's going to match inflation and take out 10% per year 
that gives you 10 years of life in your portfolio or 10 years of sustainability in your portfolio before it runs out. Now, if you only need 10% of your portfolio to generate $20,000 per year, well, now instead of needing $400,000 to fill up bucket number two in this example, you would only need $200,000 to fill up bucket number two in this example. Because taking 10% of $200,000 per year, that's $20,000 that you would need in a next example, and that will last for about 10 years. Versus the alternative that we are looking at of what if it's only 5%, that's if you have a much longer time horizon. So not sure at all what your family health history is. This is just more broadly speaking, of course, to give you some sense of these rules are not hard and fast rules. These are rules based upon specific assumptions. And if your specific scenario does not match those specific assumptions, well, then tweak the rules and make sure that this is in alignment with what you need it to be. But why that matters is what Annette's trying to really ask at the end of the day is how much money do I need in my portfolio to retire? Well, if we're planning on a life expectancy of, say, the 90 plus, well, that's where that 480 for the first bucket plus 400,000 for the second bucket. So $880,000 total comes into play. Well, Finette says, well, sure, but I don't need that money to last until I'm 90 or 100 years old. I'm only planning until 80. Okay, just using this as an example. Well, now you might only need $200,000 in that second bucket because you don't need it to last as long. So now instead of needing to wait until you have 880,000 in your total portfolio before you're in a position to retire, you would only need $680,000 in your total portfolio before you're in a position to retire. So these little details maybe don't seem like that big of a deal, or maybe they do. I hope they do because it certainly makes a pretty big difference. If you're at 680,000 and someone's telling you, no, you need to work until you have 880,000, that might be another couple, few years, several years of work until you get there. But you might not necessarily need to do that depending on your specific time horizon and other factors going on. So that is one consideration. Another consideration would be things like, do you have long-term care insurance? If so, then you can fully work to spend down your portfolio. You don't necessarily need to worry about leaving some specific amount set aside to self-insure. If you don't have long-term care insurance, though, we can't look at this from the standpoint of do you or can you spend every last dollar and bounce your last check by the end of your retirement we need to make sure there's a balance left over at the end of the day so that if you need some type of long-term care or if you need any assistance, it's not going to do you much good if you've really spent your portfolio down because of some of these rules that we're talking about and then you don't have any money left over to pay for long-term care medical expenses. So that's a consideration that should tie in. And then finally, another consideration is how much do you think you'll actually spend in retirement? So if you haven't already done so, Annette, or anyone else that's listening to this and this is mirroring your situation somewhat, listen to episode number 78. We talk about how much do people actually spend in retirement. And it's not how much do they actually spend in terms of a specific dollar amount, because that's going to vary for everyone. It's talking about how much do people actually spend in the sense of how do living expenses rise or fall over time. And what we start to see is people don't really just retire set their living expenses, and then have those living expenses increase with inflation over time. What we saw is people tend to spend a lot more on the front end of retirement, and then they slow down a little bit, and then they start to spend a little bit more on the back end of retirement with medical expenses. So as you're looking at this, I would just start even, I don't want to say challenging, but going back to the initial question of we need 60,000 per year for the first eight years, then 20,000 per year after that, do you really need that 20000 per year after that? Is it a lesser amount? Is it maybe 20000 from age 70 to 80 and then 10000 from age 80 and beyond? If that's the case, when in doubt, add another bucket. 
add a bucket for every time period when you're planning a certain amount of expenses. And at the end of the day, you don't want to overcomplicate this, but just want to look at some other considerations that I would certainly look at if I was a planner giving you guidance on some of this, because any of these little things that may seem like little things turn out to be really big things when you factor in how much of a portfolio balance do you need to make this happen? And you want to make sure that you're getting it right. So final thing I'll actually say on this, and, and by the way, there's many different approaches to this. I'm just trying to boil this down to the most simple version of it that I think is very understandable over podcast format, but it's going to get you very close. The last thing I'll say on this is your social security strategy should be very dynamic, meaning a lot of people like to know what exact age should I collect social security. And I'll give them feedback on what age I think is best. But one thing that from my perspective should really inform when you collect or don't collect isn't just the things that are in your control, like your expenses and your income and what you're doing, but also things out of your control. Maybe the biggest of which is the stock market. And if the stock market is dropping and say you're 66 years old, so you're halfway between the bucket number one money and bucket number one, again, went from age 62 until age 70. If the stock market's really dropping and your investments are dropping with it, sometimes that's a great time to say, look, let's turn on social security early. Now, some people say, oh, I don't want to do that. That locks in a lower benefit. And you're exactly right. But you have to think of what's the alternative. If you're not collecting social security early, are you being forced to dip into your investment portfolio? And now you're being forced to sell stocks or sell your investments at a declining value, because that's also something that we want to avoid. A few episodes ago, I did an episode on should you collect social security and invest it? Well, the same principles in that episode apply here too. You wouldn't necessarily be collecting social security to invest it in this example, but by collecting earlier, it's leaving more money in your investment portfolio, which is similar to collecting early and investing it when we're looking at opportunity costs or trade-offs here. So the last thing I want to add to this is right now there's a very fixed plan, and I think it's good to go into retirement with a fixed plan, but be ready to make adjustments as needed. In one potential adjustment, if needed, I'm not saying this is the case in that for you or really necessarily for any specific person, but it's something to consider of if things start going crazy and if the stock market starts dropping and if things are happening, turning on social security is one way to help mitigate some of the negative impacts of that because it's putting less pressure on your portfolio. So if that were to be the case, then the buckets look different just in terms of how many years you need for bucket one versus bucket two, so on and so forth. But I think that's another good consideration. So that is it for today's episode. Thank you very much for listening. Annette, thank you very much for the question. If you're listening and enjoying this, please be sure to leave a review on iTunes. And if you haven't already done so, make sure to check us out on YouTube. The YouTube channel is under Root Financial Partners. And I'll see you all next time. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Ready for Retirement podcast. If you're enjoying the show, please subscribe and let me know by leaving a five-star review. And as always, for a list of the notes and the resources mentioned in today's episode, you can find those at the Ready for Retirement website, which is readyforretirement.co. That's readyforretirement.co. And if you have a question that you would like for me to answer in a future episode, then you can also go to the Ready for Retirement website, readyforretirement.co. There's a page called Submit Your Question where you can submit a question for me to answer in a future episode. Thanks as always for listening, and I'll see you next time. Hey everyone, it's me again for the disclaimer. Please be smart about this. Before doing anything, please be sure to consult with your tax planner or financial planner. Nothing in this podcast should be construed as investment, tax, legal, or other financial advice. It is for informational purposes only.